0: to our special edition New Flesh podcast, the podcast you
1: deserve. My name is uh, Ricky Orpike and I'm joined by Jonathan Astro. Ricky, I'm delighted to be here. This is exciting. Uh, I thought since it's it's the holiday season, people have a bit of time up their hands that we do a recommended reading uh, episode so or a summer reading episode. I, I have a specific goal in mind, okay? Now... I want everyone listening to this to read Infinite Jest.
0: And what is Infinite Jest?
1: Well, it's by David Foster Wallace. Uh, it's from 1996. Now, this is a big book, uh, r- relatively famous, I think, for, for various reasons. It's gained in—I think it's gained in. Well, it did start very, very big, and I think it's, but it's gained in in popularity, obviously. Uh, so, David Foster Wallace uh, is. A, a brilliant short story author, non-fiction writer and novelist. He, he wrote three novels. Uh, the first was his honours thesis, uh, The Broom of the System. Uh, so he wrote that when he was only in, in college. His final work was released posthumously in 2011. Uh, so he, his, his uh, birth date was 1962. Uh, technically a very, very, very late boomer, I think. But he's more voice of a Generation X. He died, unfortunately, in 2008. Now, this book, Infinite Jest, came out in uh, the 90s. It had a huge debut. Uh, and um, just on on Wallace, Wallace has got a couple of other things that are worth mentioning. He's got He's also a recipient of the MacArthur Fellows Program uh, uh, cash, which is another name for this grant. It's called the Genius Grant. It's typically given to 20, 20 or 30 individuals working in any field who've shown extraordinary originality and dedication in their creative pursuits and a market capacity for self-direction. 500,000, I think, delivered mm-hmm. over uh, over a few years or whatever. He's an erudite thinker. He's got a background in philosophy, mathematics, English, grammar. I think he's generation- and, and tennis. And tennis. How could I forget the tennis? He, wasn't he almost a professional tennis player? Yeah, he almost went pro. Like He, he, he got pretty high up in the state leagues, I think, and then, then made that decision when he plateaued. Uh, to to give it away. Tennis features in his writing a lot as well. But I think he's Generation X's champion dissident uh, and possibly their greatest artist. So if I had to pick one Generation X artist, I think he's he's the voice of that right. generation, absolutely.
0: Now, I, I haven't read Infinite Jest. You have, and you're a big fan. Um, I've read a little bit of it, actually, because you did, you did send me a Kindle version uh, a couple of years ago and uh, I never got around to finishing it. So this this book has been seen as a polarizer. Like you, you either love it or you hate it. And maybe the length of it has something to do with that. Uh, maybe the footnotes have something to do with that. But it's, it's an investment of time. So
1: 50 to 80 hours to read it. Yes. Um but you've you've raised the issues and i think we need to tackle these. So my goal is specific. I want whoever's listening to this, i want them to invest the time, but i need to convince you that that's something worthwhile. So i'm going to try on you, Ricky, I need to convince you that it's worth your time. So you've said a few things which i which i agree with. Infinite Jest is long, 980 pages or about 1079 with endnotes. So he's got these sort of footnotes that appear on some pages. The story is complex. Uh, people say maybe it doesn't. Why does it need to be so complex? You know, people say there's too many characters, um, and that makes me angry. Is probably how people can feel. <laughs> uh, the language sometimes difficult or strange. It makes me feel dumb. Is probably what people are thinking. Um, annoying people like this book. This is this is a big one. Okay.
0: <laughs> annoying people like this book. Yes. <laughs> I love annoying
1: it. people like this book. Now that's a huge one for me. Judgmental nerds, uh, gatekeepers, alt-right figures, wankers, pick your bad guy, okay? Do, do the alt-right like this? Well, they? I don't think the alt-right necessarily, that, that necessarily, but I could see why a certain intellectual right-leaning figure might like it. Right. You know what I mean? I can see the link. Um, so they don't necessarily uh, love it, but I'm just saying that it's got a reputation, uh, you know what I mean? So they have probably mm. told you to read it. And, you know there is a certain kind of woman who has who shamelessly will will make fun of men who read or know know about this book mm. um uh, so i've i've actually met this type of person you know and they'll, they'll make fun of it and they'll make fun of you uh, having not read it which is quite a fascinating experience mm. because everyone knows that you shouldn't judge a book by its cover necessarily yeah um but uh, this is a book that seems to, you know, people don't mind trashing even though they haven't read it, which I understand. I know where that comes from. So people say the book needs a good edit, uh, it's self-indulgent, life's too short, you know, only white male narcissists like David Foster Wallace, whatever, okay? But I've got a range of reasons why I think you should read Infinite Jest. Firstly, it's a peerless piece of art. I think it's a staggering achievement from a singular mind, truly original work. It's also my favorite book of all time. And I know you shouldn't say that often, uh, but it is. Uh, I've read it several times. It's worthy of your time. Why is it worthy of your time? Because not everything is, you know, but I think this is. Why is it? I think it's worth 20 Netflix series. I think it's worth. I think if you read it, or if you read rather, I think it's worth 50 Middlebrow book club books. You know what I mean? This is well, well worth it. It is, a, it is a time investment, but I think it's worth it. It is challenging at times, but then again, this is the problem with that. Anything worthwhile is exactly that. Mm. I've read and listened to it several times, and I can't wait to do it again. Now, the first time was difficult, but you know, who who out there is thinking that only the easy is good? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, sometimes it depends what you're going got going on in your life. You know, I mean, you might have. A lot of hectic stuff going on but if you can muster the strength i i i would encourage you to do so because like going to the gym you need to test yourself to get stronger uh it's a work that comfortably comfortably sits among the greatest works of all time it owes a little debt to some some uh important works from the past not that it really matters you don't have to know anything about these works but it's for me it's important that it owes a debt to Hamlet and uh, incorporates that, and that's where the title comes from. It's a reference to uh, a line in Hamlet, Infinite Jest. Uh, other great works: The Odyssey and The Brothers Karamazov. So this is a a book with big, great ambitions, and I think it it gets there. Hmm. This is this is where we start getting into the into the thick of it. Okay, this this is the main reason you need to read it. It's relevant to the times you live in, so. David Foster Wallace predicted much of what we are experiencing right now,
0: okay? I did read that he predicted Netflix.
1: He did predict Netflix uh, and he, there are other technologies in the book that he, that he prefigures or explores, but the most important thing and interesting thing is the general mood, okay? It's a society in the book obsessed with fame and entertainment and America very much in its decline. Uh, powering its leisure-obsessed society and flinging toxic waste into Canada. Uh, pe- it's people searching for meaning wherever they can. Elite academic pursuits, yeah, fame, drugs, TV, whatever. This is the world that we're living in. It was true in the 90s and it's, it's, it's still true, okay? It was the first time I, I had read a book where I, I recognized 100% the, you know, the, the, the problem, you know, in a way that when you read some old books, you sort of go, uh, oh yeah, that's interesting. Like, I don't really know. I don't really have a personal experience, but this is a book that you will read and go and, and say that's a world I understand because Mm. David Foster Wallace understands the world you live in. Okay. And, and he was
0: able to look at what was happening with, with cable TV and project, what's happening now because 1996 the the internet existed but that was internet point 1 which was mostly static pages of of businesses and stuff like that it wasn't it, social media didn't exist youtube didn't exist uh streaming services didn't exist so was he able to sort of assess the situation and go well this this is the future
1: yeah which is that that's the that's the uh amazing thing is that he's just so so plugged in to what um to what was going on and and what is going on so if you've ever had this gnawing feeling that something's missing you know that horror you feel while scrolling endless thumbnails on netflix you know or that this book can help you diagnose the existential malaise that we find ourselves in yeah um i desperately want to know what david fossil walls thinks about 2021 you know what i mean uh, the times we live in Mm. But, but maybe he's already told us Uh, and, uh, but most of all, this book is fun and funny. There are hilarious exchanges in the book that will uh, be with you forever. He said, although it's a piece of, you know, sort of avant-garde fiction, he said that he wanted it to be fun and funny and didn't think that um, uh, these kinds of books were doing that at the time. So I've got a few life hacks for you to, before we get into the, just some of the narrative which I think is very interesting. If you're interested, if you're sort of already half sold, but you're just looking for practical strategies, I'll give them to you now and then we'll get into some narrative and you can skip that if, if you just want to go in cold. So here, uh, you need practical strategies because some of the hurdles we've spoken about are real. It's long, it's dense, it's complex. And now here's my biggest tips for tackling infinite jest this summer. So uh, who said you have to read it? Uh, there's an audiobook version with a fantastic narrator. Uh, it's available on Audible if you're fully committed then you could get the print version uh, either well either print or you get it on Kindle but also get the audiobook and then you can just go between them whatever you like uh, there uh, if you just you know if you've only got time to listen that's absolutely fine this audiobook is great now with the audiobook how do they treat the end notes okay so that's my next point the end notes are uh, there is a it'll it'll just be like so the end notes are numbered, and so the narrator will be like blah 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 blah, and then it, you hear this voice every now and then and say like uh, number one or whatever or not one, and then it'll just be like a different voice that'll just say a number. Mm-hmm. It only happens periodically, um, and you can just ignore it. Don't worry about it. You can get the end notes separately, but don't don't worry about them because what I'm going to say about the end notes, because what what if you read the book like a purist. You'd read it and when you come to an end note, when you come to a footnote, it'd say like one and then you'd flip to the back of the book, read that note and then go back to where you were, okay? Uh, I'm going to say the end notes are a bonus. Purists are going to tell you that they're essential. I even went to the main fan page for this book and they say, oh, 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 the audio book doesn't have the end notes, uh, which are essential to the enjoyment and understanding of this. Now, these are the people you shouldn't be talking to. You shouldn't be engaging with these people. These are purists. These are, these are fundamental extremists. Um, don't, don't, don't worry about those people. I've read this book many times, okay? Now, if you know a couple of things, you don't need to know, read the end notes, okay? I agree that it can make it a better experience, but only do that if you're going to come back. If you're, not, you're never going to come back, don't worry about it. I'd rather you read the book and not read the end notes. There's great stuff in the end notes uh, that will deepen your experience, but it's not essential. You know the plot is that is as it is in the, in the, in the um the narrative. So don't worry about it. Forget it.
0: Let's talk a little bit more about those end notes. So in Audible, you hear number one, and then what do you do? You have to click.
1: Well, you can go. There's a um. A, <laughs> actually, they provide a PDF. Uh, so it gets a bit tricky. You know, they provide this PDF that comes with it, and you can you can consult that, or you can um get the end notes. Uh, they're available separately on audio, which is a mess. Like, you know, it's a, it's a total mess. So my advice would be don't, don't worry about it. Like you, they're there if you want them. Um, but they're not, it's not essential. It's not. Mm.
0: Well, I've read a few things about the end notes because when when I started reading the book, uh, I was reading a Kindle version and I found it a total pain in the ass to, uh, you know, sort of click click my cursor down to the number and then click and take me to the end note and then, and then back and forth that way. Mm. And and I often thought that, that a physical book would be easier because you could have like a bookmark at the back and you could quickly flip. Um, so maybe in that way, a physical book is better to a Kindle version if you want to follow the end notes. Um, but another question I have is like, is like why he's decided to put
1: end notes? In the book at all? Well, there's a few theories about that. Uh, you know, the superficial theories, or, or are that he wants it to to feel like a tennis game or something, like when you're going back and forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, another is that he wants it to be a dialogue. He wants you to have a an engagement with the book that you wouldn't normally have with another type of book. So you're you're sort of uh, you're fully engaged because you're having to go to the back and read this extra thing and then go back to where you were. The narrative itself is sort of nonlinear and back and forth in time. So it, does, it, it doesn't really feel that out of step with what you're already doing. Mm-hmm. So if you read it without the end notes, you're sort of jumping around everywhere anyway. Yep. So going to the end and reading something, going back, isn't such a terrible shock. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. um the, the lots of different kinds of information you get there sometimes it's just a definition of of a type of drug or something or it could be a whole exchange between two people or it could be an extra thing that happened a different time or it could be you know there's a whole filmography of a filmmaker that's in there yeah. uh, one of the characters um that's probably one of the most important um uh ones actually but then again if you know well, I'll just give you the, the tip about that later and it's fine like, you know once you know that bit of information you can move on mm-hmm. so that's why i think that um you know people fret about these endnotes. Mm.
0: but isn't isn't he also because he comes from an academic background and he is he has written a number of uh non-fiction essays which which i love by the way he does a great one about uh, how he we went on a cruise ship once and his whole experience there which which i recommend so He's, he's playing with that a- academic formula
1: as well? Is that- he is. Absolutely. Of course. All of these are true. All of this is true. And and it's it, I just think that, you know, I just think people fret over them and I would rather we don't talk about them. Let's talk about the story. Like, like I know, you know, because obviously you can say, well, why has he done it then? And you say, well, don't worry about it. Just read the book mm. and don't worry about them. Like, like, if you love it and you feel it, then... Get into it, but if not, don't worry about it. Make that decision at the beginning, and then move on.
0: Well, let's move on to the plot. Tell me what what happens in this in this book.
1: Okay, all right. So, um, we've got a couple of things to keep in mind to let you know. So, the setting is America of the distant future, uh, not well, the near future. Sorry. Um, uh, most of the action takes place in downtown Boston. Okay. Now it's a soft sci-fi story. So the world mostly resembles ours, except for a few peculiarities. It's not like brave new world or something like that, where it's completely different. It's a, it works the way ours works, which is why I love it. Uh, the most interesting thing about this time is, uh, is that instead they've got this thing called subsidized time. Basically the years have been sold to companies. So in the way that you would sell, you know, like in the NBA, they say, uh, you know, the Pfizer, that Pfizer dunk or whatever. They've sold that dunk or whatever to Pfizer and then they replay it with the logo. They've gone so far in the future as to sell whole years. So instead of 2003, it's like the year of the Whopper. And then we've got the year of the Tux medicated pad, year of the trial size dub bar. Most of the action actually in the plot appears in the year of the Depend adult undergarment. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so that's the main that is actually the main thread. So it'll say uh Y uh, uh, T Y O T D sorry. And uh that's the year of the dependent on garment. And then we go back in time every now and then to the different years. Uh the actual so the first chapter of the book, uh, which is actually the climax. So the very first chapter you read is actually the climax, and that happens in the year of uh, Glad. Um, so, uh, then we go back in time. So the book's got a circular, uh, uh, feel to it. So this subsidized time thing is just interesting. It helps you keep track of time. Uh, there's two spheres of action, the high and the low. So we've got, the story is basically split in two in a way, two spheres, two heroes. So high on a hill at the Enfield Tennis Academy, we have Hal Incandenza, 16 year old prodigy. He's a genius with language and a tennis superstar in the making, uh, but with a very secret weed habit. Uh, Below the hill, we have the Ennett House Drug and Alcohol Recovery House. Uh, The hero of this sphere is Don Gately, late 20s, former petty criminal with a limited education, recovering from Demerol abuse and learning the sort of the AA uh, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous way of life. So if you think about the book as being split between these two poles of, of Hal, high up on the hill at his private tennis academy, and Don Gately, low on the bottom, Okay. Uh, and then we have um, a, a lot of other threads. So, uh, But the main threads are a tennis prodigy and a recovering drug addict. The story is nonlinear. Uh, it's told in a nonlinear way. We jump around to the present, you know, the past, the future. Uh, one of the other main threads in, in the story is um, a discussion between two, two people uh, in Tucson uh, Hugh Steepley and Remy Murat, a pair of triple agents who are on different sides, uh, sharing a philosophical discussion throughout the book. Basically, Hugh is a burly man undercover as a female reporter, so he's now Helen Steepley, and Remy is a wheelchair-bound Quebecer, uh, so that's from um, uh, Quebec, doing all he can to save his wife. So I think that's the main threads. We've got, we've got Hal, we've got Don. Uh, and then we've got the we keep coming back to this discussion between these two these two triple agents and those triple agents are actually involved in the main uh sort of hmm, what do we say genre plot that's going on in the background of the lives of of everyone in the story so w- although the story is very you know uh, grassroots and we we'd really just ex- living with with these these characters in their different spheres um we get this the main plot is very is quite simple, but it's 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 happening in the background. Basically, Hal's father, James Incandenza, as well as starting the Tennis Academy many years ago, was actually a brilliant scientist and filmmaker. Now, he tragically committed suicide before the story begins, and we never really meet him, except before his suicide, he was a prolific filmmaker, as I said, of avant-garde films. He made a film called Infinite Jest, a film so amazing that when you see it, you want nothing else but to watch this film until you die. So basically the idea is that they're on cartridges. That's the only thing that uh, David Foster Wallace couldn't quite get his head around is how we transmit all of that data across the airwaves. But the idea is that once you watch this particular cartridge, I think it's got a smiley face on it, you watch it and then you, you become, it's almost like a virus, you just become catatonic, you know what I mean? You you, you, you you lose the ability to speak and you just want to watch it over and over again until you die. There's no way of getting you out. It's like a, it's it's a death sentence. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's a bit like the ring then. It is a little bit like the ring in that way. So this cartridge uh, was created by Hal's dad. And there are a range of people in the background of this. Of this so the book's not a thriller. Okay. Uh, but there are some people who are on the hunt for this, um, For this cartridge. So basically, while Don is in Don Gately's in rehab, and Hal uh, is at his tennis academy, living their lives, there are a number of groups operating to try and locate the master copy of Infinite Jest. The most terrifying is a group of radical wheelchair-bound Québécois terrorists who plan to distribute the film across what is the uh, the US. So it's called. uh, So the US is actually called uh, the ONAN now. Uh, but they want to distribute this across there to, to crippling to cripple the nation, okay? To uh, and it'll be quite easy because everyone's so entertainment obsessed. So everyone wants to watch these things. But that's all background. Uh, there are a range of other characters we encounter, and they're all wonderful, you know, in their own different way. We've got Oren. We've got so Hal's got a couple of brothers. Uh, Oren in Candenza, eldest brother, he's a football pro and womanizer. Mario in is the youngest brother, pure hearted, and disabled. Filmmaker like his father has a special camera on top of a helmet that he has because um, he's got a big club foot that he that he drags around, uh, and he also uses this a police lock like this sort of like stick to keep himself upright. puts it out from his chest like you know like you would uh, like I think it's the sort of thing that's on a door in old style New York City apartments. You put like this stick in front of the 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 uh, behind the door so that people can't break in. Mm. So uh, Mario's got one on his chest that he puts on the ground to stay upright while he's filming. Uh, So I've mentioned uh, Hugh Steepley and Remy. They're those triple agents. Uh, Joelle Van Dyne, a film major who is so beautiful that it's considered a deformity and must therefore wear a veil at all times. Mm. So she's got this veil that she wears, uh, Joelle Van Dyne. Sounds Islamic. Yes. (laughs) So uh, just to go back to some of my practical things. So basically uh i think you can make the commitment to read this book you know what i mean just tackle it uh uh, and you know don't worry about the dickheads that have told you to read it the world's got dickheads uh and some of them like this book uh so we just need to accept that it's easier to make fun of the book and the people who read it than it is to read it um so that's just something we also have to accept now the only other thing is just accept that you're not going to have 100 comprehension at all times this isn't how we read anyway i don't know where we got this from this idea that like you've got to like read it like the only books you read and understand 100 100 percent are like jack reacher novels and stuff like you read that and you go oh yes i understand exactly where jack is now who he's doing what to and how all the time and that's fine sometimes you need that But this book isn't like that. There are times purposely where you're like, Oh, geez, I'm not quite sure who's speaking right now every now and then, or I'm not quite sure where I am or that's, that's okay. It's a process. You misread things, you get tired, you find you've skipped a bit or whatever. Uh, But overall, by the end of it, you get it. Like, because really this is an entire world. This was a type of literature, like an encyclopedic novel. The idea is that it's so big and it's this entire city. I feel like I know a hundred people in this city. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And all you're doing is getting little little shards of their lives and and you and and you put together the story as you go okay so i think that people expect when they read it they go like oh when's the story going to start or when you go no you're in it okay like the idea is that you're you're getting the shards and just think about it like a puzzle like you're putting each shard each chapter is you know a certain character or whatever or a certain time of you're just putting it all down in this tapestry and by trust me by the end you'll put it all together and you'll say, ah, and you'll talk to someone else and maybe put it together and say, yeah, I get it now. I know, I know what I, well, I relatively know what happened, but that not, which isn't to say there's not ambiguities.
0: (laughs) Well, I have read that the writing style is shards of characters' lives uh, as they revolve around a central point and that being the film infinite jest.
1: That's right. Um, So I think that, you know, don't come to it expecting that, that, Story about the cartridge is going to be in play in the way it would be like in a Mission Impossible movie, mm. uh, where the that you're sort of hot on the trail of this thing. Just be excited when it turns when that thread or that plot in some, you know all the people involved in it turn up. It doesn't happen all the time, but when it does, it's a delight, and you go, oh, and it'll be a big time. Big gaps before that happens, mm. and don't expect there's going to be a big. A big climax. I've already told you the climax is the first chapter. So, you know, ultimately it's about something else. Um, I was going to say. I remember that first that first chapter
0: too. It was it was amazing.
1: Yes. So Hal is applying to get into university on his sports scholarship, um, and it doesn't go to plan. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, that's excellent. Like, have you got, got much else to say about? No, not really. Uh, Infinite
1: all I'd say is that I just think I just think overall it's about sincerity, and I think it's about this cancer of irony and postmodernism. You know, I go on about this on the podcast all the time. Like, you know, down with irony, man. Irony sucks. Mm. It's it's uh, and postmodernism sucks too.
0: Well, Foster Wallace hated all that shit. Oh,
1: it's it, it's this book is uh, about the yearning for connection. It's about how it's about loneliness about what it means to be human and particularly in the times we live in and it's about authenticity and sincerity and i've heard it called this type of novel called the new sincerity and the, i suppose the best way the only way he could try and be sincere is to be self uh referential you know here and there in the book but it really is about trying to get you to feel and uh, man i feel every time i read it i love this book i just think it's glorious and i wish i had more people to to talk with about it mm. but i don't because I have to get them to read it and I think if I had to I'd be happy to never recommend another book to someone if they were going to read this one I'd be like I'll never ask you to read anything just read this one I know it's big but just this one
0: Mm. you know well I might have to uh, dust off my Kindle version and have a read this is good Well, that's excellent uh, Yeah, thanks for your uh, book recommendation There's still a few, a couple more days uh, before Christmas So I might think of it as a uh, Christmas present for someone
1: Yes uh, Get it for the right person though Because if their person's like, you know, I don't know They, 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 they might, yeah, it could, could go one of several ways <laughs>
0: You could no longer be friends with them Or That's right Perhaps best
1: friends for life Yeah Let's hope for the latter
0: Excellent Well enjoy your Christmas break And we will see you on the other side Mm -hmm.
1: Long live the new flesh Long live the new flesh